Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Ephesians chapter number three, all right? Ephesians chapter number three is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, our message today kind of comes from a rabbit trail of Paul's. Uh, If you look at the uh, chapter in its entirety, you see at the beginning of it, it says, for this cause I, Paul, and then there's no verb to that thought until verse 14 when he like comes back and says, for this cause I bow my knees. And so he's eventually going to get to, uh, because of everything we've covered, especially in chapter number two, and how we have full access to the Father, and we are holy temples of the Lord, that this is the dwelling place of the Lord right here, all of that, because of all of that, I'm praying for you for a specific thing to take place in your heart and in your life, and for your eyes to be open to a specific truth of the love of God. And we're going to get to that next week. But I figured if Paul takes a rabbit trail, then we can take a rabbit trail too this morning. And we're going to follow through with a side note that he gives. And, uh, and also, I just got to say, you know, if Paul can side trail and, and do it, then don't, don't, uh, don't fault me for doing it. Because apparently there are some inspired rabbit trails, okay? And so if the Lord ever leads uh, us on a rabbit trail, which I know I, I don't chase them often, but when I do, I normally am like where was I? (laughs) I get back to my notes. Uh, But man, if Paul can do it, I'm going to justify when I do it, okay? But we're in Ephesians chapter number three, starting in verse one, and I I love, I love this thought. It is, it is so good. So let's read it. Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse one, the Bible says this, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he may known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel." Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ." To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory." quite a rabbit trail, (laughs) quite a side note uh, that he kind of gets off on as he's starting to write. But I I believe it really will help us this morning in just a subject of suffering and how to suffer well. What was Paul's mindset while he was right here, as he says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles? What was his mindset? And we're going to see that this morning. But before we do, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and uh, just ask the Lord 
one more time to speak to us this morning through his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, this time now that we have to look into your word. And God, we pray that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, we know that you want to speak to us, and so help us to have open hearts and minds to hear from you. And Lord, truly, whatever you speak to us about this morning, whether it uh, be in preparation for suffering, or whether uh, some, uh, even in here, we are maybe going through some kind of suffering, I pray, Lord, that you would help this to give us a perspective that is shaped by the gospel. And Lord, shaped by who we are in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that everything that I say and do would just speak directly to your people from you. And Lord, that you would just use me as a vessel this morning to do that. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, man, as we've studied Ephesians so far, we've seen, we've seen all the wonderful and uh, the beautiful truths about our identity in Christ. Our gospel identity is what the series has been called. All the things that... Uh, we know about us, not by who we are uh, in and of ourselves or by anything that we've done or are doing or are striving to do ourselves, but because of the fact that we are solely in Christ. We've seen that uh, things like now we're the children of God, that we're adopted by our Heavenly Father and we have access to Him at any time and no one has more access to God than anyone else. Those walls of partition have been broken down. The Holy of Holies, uh, the veil has been torn and uh, and we all have spiritual blessings and forgiveness and grace and acceptance and the Holy Spirit at all times, uh, right here at our disposal at all times. And we are made temples. Last week, man, I loved last week's study and going through the Word of God and seeing how the dwelling place of God uh, on this earth through the, the history of the earth is now right here in His own people, that He has given the Holy Spirit to indwell us. The dwelling place of God right here on earth in us and as we gather together. And, and we are here and we hear uh, all of those things. I, I feel like we hear all of those things and we go, yes, right? We, we hear, uh, man, we are a child of God. We have all spiritual blessings and you have forgiveness and, and acceptance and all of those things. And we go, woo! And then we hear a verse like, all those that are in Christ Jesus or that, uh, that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. And we go, hold up, <laughs> wait a second, what? I don't know if I like this part now, right? I, I don't know if uh, this is, this is uh, I don't know how I feel about that is really sometimes what we come to. Uh, but the truth is, we suffer, all of us. We, we suffer, we go through sufferings. But the amazing thing about our gospel identity, and this is what we're going to see today, is that now we see our suffering has purpose, our suffering has purpose. What we're going to see today is that the closer that you look at your suffering, the more that you see that God actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> uh, how many of you believe that God knows what he's doing? Yeah, anyone? Okay, good. We all say that, right? We're like, we're like, man, God knows what he's doing. Most of the time, God knows what he's doing, especially in other people's lives. Some of the time, most of the time, in other people's lives, God knows exactly what he's doing. But uh, in my life, sometimes he messes it up. Sometimes, we wouldn't say that, but in our own mind, sometimes that's what we think. Uh, we often say we believe God knows what he's doing, but then we get upset with God uh, when he does what he's doing in our life. Uh, well, you knew, you knew what you were doing, God, last year, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure you really know what you're doing this year or what you're doing right now in my life. But uh, let me ask this. Let, let me just say, who wants to apply for the job of God? Anybody in here? This should be fun. 
No? No one? Why? Why, why would we not? Because as much as we think sometimes... Uh, I don't know what he's doing. The truth is that deep down in our hearts, we still believe God has to know what he's doing. Like we, we truly believe that. But then we start dealing with our own sufferings and we often think, but really, does God know what he's doing? And even John the Baptist, uh, you look at John the Baptist, even he had this thought. Uh, at one point, uh, he's in prison and he sends some of his followers, some of his disciples, to Jesus and say, like, are, are you the one we've been waiting for? Or do we, do we need to search for another? And so I feel like if John the Baptist can have his doubts and, and wonder sometimes if uh, God is doing what he's supposed to be doing, I think we would maybe even struggle with the same thought. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, we're given kind of a theology or an ideology of suffering, a gospel ideology of it. Why is, why is there suffering in our lives? What I want us to see is that when we view our suffering through the lens of the gospel, we actually find that God truly does know what he's doing. Now, by, by way of introduction, I, I want us to kind of categorize certain sufferings, okay? They're, they're, uh, I'm categorizing them as seven different sufferings, and these aren't original with me. I got these from a pastor friend that he's really good at succinct, uh, uh, verbiage, and so I was like, hey, bro, I'm stealing that from you. And, uh, and so these are seven category, categories of uh, a suffering that we go through. The first one would be this, Adamic suffering. And what that means is, uh, if you've been in our series with us, you know that it, as humans, we are born in Adam, in sin. We're born in Adam. And so as the children of humanity, we all suffer because of the curse of sin, right? They, Adam and Eve were in the garden, God created them, and then they fell, and sin took place, and they were separated from uh, a relationship with God, and sin, the Bible says, sin brought death, and disease, and deterioration uh, into this world, and, and this is a suffering that the older we get, the more we feel this kind of suffering. Uh, my, my wife thinks it's uh, disgusting, but, and I'm not going to do it right now, but when I extend my elbows, my elbows pop, and sometimes they pop like two or three times, and I'm like, I, I already am starting to feel the curse uh, and, and the suffering that the curse of sin has brought into our lives, death and, and disease and deterioration. So there's Adamic suffering. We all, because of the sin curse, uh, feel this in the earth. And then there's consequential suffering. What this is, is you did something stupid and now you're paying for it, right? Anyone suffered because of this way, uh, right? Uh, we, we, we've gone through this kind of suffering. Sometimes we're like, God, why did I get this speeding ticket? Okay, but, it, but if you like follow through the line of thinking, it wasn't because of God, it was because you were speeding, right? It wasn't because life is unfair or because God did anything. It's because you did something wrong, right? Okay, you, you did something and you're now suffering the consequences of your dumb actions. And if you're anything like me, that kind of suffering comes a lot more common than any of the other kinds of sufferings. You did something dumb, and now you're suffering for it. So there's consequential suffering. And then there's demonic suffering. There's demonic suffering. Not, not everything that you go through is your fault. Not everything that you go through is consequential and is your fault. The, the moment that... You, especially as a child of God, declared that you were believing in the winning team, uh, then a target was put on your back. 
You have an enemy, Satan, the devil, who's uh, walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he he may devour. And there is such thing as spiritual warfare, uh, a thing that we are constantly fighting. We're going to get to that in Ephesians chapter number 6 when we talk about the armor of God and all of uh, what Paul unpacks in that chapter. But uh, there's demonic suffering, suffering that just takes place because Satan is after you as a child of God, and you're going to have to go through some of that suffering. And then uh, there's innocent suffering there's innocent suffering you you did nothing wrong uh someone else sinned against you uh, that that's what innocent suffering is and uh this would uh, be categories like abuse and violence and and uh maybe you were financially cheated things like that you didn't do anything wrong and even though sometimes uh because of how wacky this world is the person who uh, is suffering innocently feels like they did suf- something wrong but no if if this is the kind of suffering you're feeling it is because someone else wronged you not because you uh did something wrong in any way and don't don't uh, categorize your consequential suffering as innocent suffering, okay? We, we need to understand that uh, though some people in this world, they truly are innocent and they're suffering uh, innocently. So there's Adamic suffering, consequential, demonic, innocent, and then there's collective suffering. What this is, is a group of people are all suffering together. This would be like uh, when your nation is at war, Everyone is feeling uh, the effects of this kind of suffering and what that's bringing. And uh, although you are secluded to your own households and to your own family and, uh, and whatever might be taking place uh, in the economy at that time, uh, you feel this together. This is, this is also when there's maybe you're a, a child and, uh, and you have siblings and something takes place with your parents uh, that now you all are suffering the consequences together because of what took place there. And, and uh, th- this would be collective suffering, something that we feel uh, together. Something happens in a church and the whole church family feels it. Uh, that's collective suffering. And then there's empathetic suffering. Uh, I'm not, this is, I'm not hurting for myself. I'm, I'm hurting because someone that I love is hurting. Uh, this is like when a family member is diagnosed with cancer or some uh, kind of uh, illness. Uh, I, I found, found myself even find in this type of suffering often as a, as a friend with dear friends who have lost a parent or, or their marriage is suffering. It's, it's not even my parent uh, or, or my marriage, but theirs is. And as a, a close and dear friend, uh, man, I hurt for them and I think about it often and I'm like, man, if they would just, uh, if, if they could just uh, go back to the Lord, their marriage would come together and, and, uh, and man, I just feel for my friend who, who's lost a loved one in some way and I, I especially feel this as a pastor, uh, you know, and, and counseling people and seeing things that people are going through and, and see someone's life just being ruined by sin and, and I, I feel for them and, and as, a, as a pastor, you, you see that a lot, sin and addiction and, uh, and whatever else might be uh, ruining someone's life and you're shouldering those burdens along with them and it's stuff that, that weighs heavy on your heart when you, this, you have this empathetic type of suffering. And then, and then the last one is opportunistic suffering. And this is the suffering that you're going through can build a platform to help other people. Now, we don't normally see this while we're in the midst of the suffering, but after coming out of it, we then see how God is going to use it 
in order for us to help other people. I think of people that do this uh, that have been in some kind of tragic accident. There was one guy that came up uh, to my public school when I was growing up that he had lost every limb. He had no arms and no legs and, uh, and he was using this tragedy that took place uh, in his life as a teenager to help us as teenagers understand the consequences of certain things. That's opportunistic suffering, a suffering that you went through uh, that, that will future, be used in the future to help other people. And so we have these different kinds of sufferings. And so with that in mind, uh, let, let's see what Paul wants us to learn about our suffering. And so first of all, I just want us to see this, okay? Paul, as he's talking about his own suffering, he says this, when I am suffering, I am a dispenser of God's grace. The first thought I see as Paul is talking about his imprisonment is he's saying, hey, uh, I am a dispenser of God's grace. Did you notice in verse number one, he didn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Gentiles? That would have been a true statement. Uh, he was imprisoned by the Romans. They were, the gen- they were Gentiles. He, he could have said, I'm an, I am a, a prisoner of the Gentiles, but he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles, is what he says. What he's saying is that, This suffering is not deterring me from my mission. Uh, I am on mission in the midst of my suffering. I'm suffering for the Gentiles. And we'll unpack this a little bit. That what what we're really going to see from Paul's perspective is that because of the gospel, because of the grace of God, we can see our circumstances are not an accident. There is purpose behind it. And firstly, Paul talks about the fact that he's suffering in order that he might be able to minister to the very people that he's been called to. In verse number two, he says, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given uh, me to you word. Uh, and, and so this is, this is where I get the word dispenser for our first point. The word is not talking about a lot of times when it says dis- dispensation. Uh, a lot of times we think of that as like an age or a, a brief moment of time. Uh, this actual word, it, it could also mean uh, a stewarding of or uh, an administering of uh, uh, of grace. What Paul is saying is that God has poured out his grace upon me in order that I might be able to pour out his grace upon you. That's what Paul is saying. And then in verses three through six, uh, he says, here is how I've been able to do that. God has revealed unto me the mystery like I've written about before in this letter so that you might understand fully, which little side note, I love how he says, as I wrote a four in few words, it was not in a few words, okay? <laughs> but it, he wrote uh, earlier in this chapter, he says, so that you might understand more fully that the Gentiles and the Jews are all made fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promises in Christ by the gospel. That's, that's the mystery that he's talking about. The fact that uh, uh, a mystery that to those in the Old Testament age was not as clear. They, they didn't fully see God's plan to bring all nations to himself. We talked about this a little bit last week. That uh, the, in the Old Testament, they saw Gentiles come to faith in God Uh, like Rahab or Ruth, the Moabite. Uh, They saw Gentiles come to faith in God, but with that came a converting to Judaism and following with all of the rituals of that. But now the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has made us all one. 
And he, that's what he's saying the mystery is. What people didn't fully understand uh, in, in the Old Testament times has now been revealed to the apostles and the prophets here in the New Testament time to show we are all fellow heirs of one body, partakers in the promises of Christ by the gospel. And then in verse 7 he says, And I was specifically made a minister to the Gentiles. Uh, when he looked at his suffering, he didn't see it as a bad circumstance uh, he didn't see bad circumstances. He saw ministry opportunities. And no doubt in his mind, as, as he was even writing this down and as he went through suffering, he would recall the things that Jesus said to him. Uh, he, he uh, on the road to Damascus, that's in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22 and in Acts chapter 26. And specifically when he's before uh, Agrippa telling his, uh, telling his, testimony of the road to Damascus, he says this is what Jesus said to him. I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise, stand upon thy feet, for I've appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by the faith that is in me. Uh, and, and then uh, even we saw in Acts chapter 23 in our series that Jesus said to Paul in his suffering, hey, hey, be of good cheer, Paul, uh, or you've testified of me in Jerusalem and you will also do so in Rome. And Paul says, look, what I'm going through, this imprisonment that I'm going through, is what I am actually called to. Uh, I'm a minister to the Gentiles, and God continues to give me grace through the things that I go through, and he continues to empower me by his grace in order that I might fulfill that very calling to the Gentiles. And then in verse number eight, he says, unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given? Uh, and just... Just kind of a side note, because I love this thought, that did you notice what he called himself? The less of the least of all the saints. It, it's interesting that uh, suffering in life seems to bring about spiritual maturity. It seems to bring about more Christ-likeness. And I, I see that all throughout the, the New Testament with Paul. If you look at the New Testament uh, and you say, you know, who had the, was like the most spiritually mature person in the New Testament, other than Jesus, that's the Sunday school answer, we would say Paul, right? Well, then look at the New Testament. Who suffered the most? Jesus, and then Paul, right? Paul did. And, uh, and Paul, he, he here uh, says, like, I'm, the le the le I'm, I'm less than the least of uh, all the saints, is what he says. He, he says, look, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really that good of one. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really that good of one. Well, you're actually doing much better than you think you are because uh, if you're here saying, well, I'm a Christian and I'm one of the good ones, I'm good at this thing, then you're probably not as good as you think you are. Uh, but Paul, it seems that as he progressed through suffering and through this life and the longer he walked with Jesus, the more he uh, became humble and more like Jesus. I think of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I think it is, he says he's the least of all apostles. And at that time, he's around the age 49. And then in Ephesians chapter 3 here, when he says, I'm, the less, I'm less than the least of all the saints, he was around age 56. And then a few years later, uh, when he wrote, uh, 
Oh man, I can't remember. Oh, uh, it's, uh, it's in Timothy, uh, second, one of the Timothys, okay, where he says, uh, I'm the chief of all sinners. Like that, that's a few years later when he's progressed even more in suffering. And, uh, and our sufferings will, uh, if we let them, bring about spiritual maturity uh, and, and our suffering can develop within us the mind of Christ, a spirit of humility. It can, it can lead us to spiritual maturity, uh, but, it, uh, but we, we need to let it, okay? Now, sorry, that was a side note, okay? Uh, I had one little thing in my notes that said less than the least of these and then I went off on that tangent, okay? Let me, uh, let me get back to the original thought. Uh, unto me is this grace given, okay? Less than the least of all the saints, but unto me is this grace given, is what he says. Uh, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Uh, I don't know if you notice the correlation through the passage that we've been going through, but he's saying the dispensing, okay, the dispensation of grace that's been given to me uh, is given to me to you, you word, okay? So the dispensing of grace that is given to me, to you, and then he says, I'm made a minister according to the grace of God that is given to me and empowering me. And then he says, unto me is this grace given that I should preach. Uh, what, what's Paul getting at? He's saying, the gospel came to me to flow through me. That's really what he's saying. The gospel came to me to flow through me. And God's strengthening grace through my trials is empowering me so that I might strengthen and empower you. That's what he's saying. The suffering that I'm enduring is really opening up my ministry. It's interesting. The more he did ministry, the more he suffered. And the more he suffered, the more he did ministry. It it is just the cycle that Paul went through. But he ultimately viewed it as God's grace to fulfill his calling. Ponder that for a moment. Have you ever stopped to consider that what suffering you're going through is actually the grace of God? Like the tribulation that you're going through is actually God's grace in your life. Could it be that through your suffering, the very enabling, strengthening grace that is given to you in the midst of your suffering the very lessons that you learn in suffering, that all of that is God's grace being poured into you so that you might be able to pour his grace into other people. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you, uh, how many of you know what this is? Anybody know what this is? What is this? A Pez dispenser, right? Okay, this one's not big enough for everyone to see, so I'm gonna let you see this one, okay? This... <clears throat> This pet, I know what you're thinking. You're like, of course, Pastor Mike and Rebecca would have a huge Chick-fil-A Pez dispenser, okay? But um, this, this, is, this is actually, it's, it dispenses full packages of Pez because it's so big, not just the little bitty ones for, anyways, okay? Pez dispenser, all right? That's what this is. Uh, what is the purpose of a Pez dispenser? To dispense Pez. Woo! We're sharp this morning, right? Okay? But before it can do so, it has to be filled with Pez, right? It has to be filled with Pez. Now, if this thing was alive, um, it probably would be quite uncomfortable with how, how I have to fill it with Pez, right? It doesn't look very comfortable that we have to uh, bend its neck all the way back just to shove Pez in there. Uh, but it has to go through that painful process to be filled with Pez in order that it might dispense Pez, 
Now, this is a silly illustration, but God is continually pouring out his grace upon us. And, and especially when we ask him for strength through trials. The writer of Hebrews said that we can find grace to help in time of need. When we boldly go before the throne and ask for grace, he gladly gives it to us in our time of need. And, and the way God fills us with his grace may be uncomfortable at times, right? We don't always like the way that he's filling us with his grace. It might even be painful, but when we realize that we are dispensers of, great, of God's grace, we understand that we can only pour out God's grace upon others as we are filled with the grace of God. This is why James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote that we should count it all joy when we uh, go through various hardships, through diverse temptations. Now, that doesn't mean that you enjoy hardships, right? It doesn't mean like, woo, hardships, trials, temptations. It's not like, uh, I, I think of even Paul. It's not like he was like, yeah, getting beat without a trial in Philippi. No, that's not what he was thinking. But he was thinking, uh, hey, this put us in jail with some unbelievers and with a jailer who needs to know Christ. This gives us an opportunity to sing to the Lord in the middle of a jail cell. Probably had good acoustics, right? That's what he was thinking. He wasn't thinking, yeah, man, suffering. He was thinking, oh, man, what can we do in the midst of this suffering? He wasn't like, yeah, woohoo, shipwreck, right? But but he did see the storm and the shipwreck toward the end of the book of Acts. He saw it as an, in, as an opportunity to declare his belief in the promises of God. He said, hey, I believe God. He said, I'm going to make it to Rome. We're going to make it there. He didn't say, yeah, shipwreck. But he said, you know what? I'm in the midst of a shipwreck. I'm going to use this to declare God to people, right? He, he wasn't all giddy at the fact that he was imprisoned in Rome for so long. But his perspective was... All these things have happened unto me for the furtherance of the gospel, is how he wrote it in the book of Philippians. Paul from imprisonment is saying, hey, I'm dispensing grace from my trial because I am empowered by God's grace. And so, so it is with us today, friends. It, 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 because of the gospel, because of who we are in Christ, our sufferings, our hardships, they are not accidental. They have a purpose. They are an opportunity for God's grace to fill us up so that we may dispense that grace to others. Whether that be using the opportunity to share the gospel of God's grace with unbelievers in the midst of the trial, or maybe even that we learn and experience this so that we can minister more effectively to other people that later on go through that trial. Uh, but, but because of my identity in Christ, my sufferings have a purpose. I am a dispenser of God's grace. But notice also that through my suffering, not only am I a dispenser of grace, but I am a display of God's grace. I'm a display of God's grace. Now, this, this is a twofold truth that is explained here, and it's so cool, okay? This is one of those things, like last week with Temple, this week, this is just like, to me, okay? So uh, stick with me on this first thought. But the grammar of the statement in verses 10 and 11 tells us that the manifold wisdom and eternal purpose of God that is in Jesus, is made known to principalities and powers in heavenly places, that, that's angelic beings, by the church. Okay, the, when it says, to the intent that now the principalities and powers, the angelic beings in heavenly places, might be known the manifold wisdom of God, how, how do they do that? By the church. Okay, so you and I, the local church body, Ridgepoint, we are 
like a, a prism or a lens through which heavenly beings are seeing the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, in school when they brought out a prism and, uh, and showed how if you shine a light through the prism and the, the colors come out the other side. How many, you remember that going in grade school? Man, I love that. That just sticks out of my mind when that was shown to me. And uh, the word manifold here, when it says the manifold wisdom of God, it's a Greek word that means multicolored like multifaceted. And so what he's saying is through the church, by the church, the lens or the prism by which heavenly angelic beings can see the multicolored, multifaceted, manifold wisdom of God and the purpose of God. So the best word picture I can think of is that you and me and a healthy local church body where the grace of God is flowing and where fallen human beings are redeemed and recovered and people of every kind of diverse background and personality come together in the gospel and in the fellowship of grace and they're growing and they're making a difference and God is doing this work through them all and through that work. Uh, it's like the angels of heaven can see through this work, they can view the mind and the purpose of God that they would otherwise never see. This, this is staggering because God could have revealed, uh, he could have used anything to teach the angels, right? He could have used anything. He could have used uh, anything to reveal himself to them. But you and I and the work that is happening in the church is on display in heaven and reveals to those beings a manifold wisdom of God. Angels of God drop their jaws at the work that God is doing in you and in the church. Because of the redemption that God works in our lives at salvation and the redemption that God works in and through our hardships, uh, it's revealing to heavenly beings what God is going to do to make what is wrong in eternity right again. You remember, uh, oh, how can I say this? I, I, wanna, I, I really want you to catch this. This is so cool. You remember a couple weeks ago when uh, we were talking about as humans, as uh, man, we are confined to time and space, right? Time, you could bookend time and space, the history of creation. Uh, there was a beginning to it. In the beginning, God created, right? And then there will be an end to it, right? Outside of the history of time and space is what's called eternity, which means eternity goes forever in every direction, Okay. So the Bible tells us about one thing that took place in eternity past, which kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but before the creation, the, the history of creation and all that's taking place here on this earth, the, there's one cataclysmic event that takes place in eternity past. Do you, do you remember what that is? It's Satan and the, and the falling of many angelic beings, okay? Uh, Satan tries to uh, make himself God and, and they end up falling and, and all of that takes place. Um, and, and so you have the fall or uh, the, the fall of Satan and some angels and this angelic rebellion that takes place in eternity past and then you have creation takes place. Okay, Creation takes place and all that happens in the history of creation and the cross of Christ being the the apex or like the pinnacle of all of time and space, the history of time and space and the redemptive plan of God. And on both sides of that cross, you have human history unfolding, okay? But at the end of time, what commences at the end of time? The Bible tells us that at the end of time, there's eternity. There's eternity again, okay? So when 
time and space and this earth has passed away and new heaven and new earth and all that takes place, there's eternity, okay? Specifically, redeemed eternity. Like, perfect eternity is what commences at the end. Perfect eternity. Uh, so, that, that day is when all things are under Christ's dominion. That Jesus Christ now has all preeminence and all things are made new. So you have angelic rebellion, time and space, final judgment, then restored eternity. So, so here's my point, okay? Here's my point. Redemption, redemption and your salvation and local church, time and space purpose that brings us boldness and access and confidence by faith in Christ was God's solution for what went wrong in the angelic rebellion. Creation, time, and space, and all that takes place in it, it's all a part of the eternal purpose of God to make all things new again. The redemption of your soul and the redemption of your circumstances are but a foretaste of the ultimate redemption that will come to pass at the end. And, and angelic beings from heaven are watching this take place, the redemption of souls and the redemption of circumstances and, and the church seeing people change and all of the transformation that takes place. They're seeing all of this and they're in awe learning and understanding more and more about God's infinite wisdom and purpose by watching our lives on display. And isn't that just so cool? That, that they are watching and learning more about God's ultimate plan of redemption to fix eternity and restore eternity by what God is doing right here on the earth in and through us and through redemption of all of those things. But we aren't only a display for the angelic beings. We're also a display of God's grace to other people here on earth. Uh, at the last verse that we have in our passage today, verse 13, Paul says, Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not, at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul told the, efficient, uh, the Ephesians, I don't want you to lose heart because of my suffering. Uh, they, they could have been discouraged because there was a part of them that, that understood he's suffering in prison right now because of us, because of the Gentiles, but specifically even, remember, he's on house arrest in Rome because people saw him in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount with an Ephesian named Trophimus. So in their minds, they might be somewhat discouraged at his suffering, understanding that he's there and he's going through this because of us. But Paul said, no, 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 don't be discouraged. My hardships are for your glory, is the words he used. That means for your flourishing, for your thriving, for, for your... Uh, benefit and welfare and if I have to suffer so that you can see everything that you are in Christ that's happy suffering is what Paul is saying when you suffer it reveals and it reveals God and it points people to Jesus if you look closely at your suffering like Paul did you will find that it's bringing God glory and it's revealing God's grace to a world that is watching 
There is a world watching us go through the same sufferings or similar sufferings to them. And it does make a difference when we're able to go through the suffering with hope and peace and all of those things. It, it, it is, there's a world watching and our trials and tribulations and sufferings are revealing God's grace to that world that is watching. So here's where our application comes in, okay? Although these are the purposes of God that we can get out of our trial, uh, that, that uh, these are the purposes of God for our sufferings, there are times when we ourselves don't view it this way. We, we don't view our sufferings in this way. We're often more concerned about how we can get out of the trial than what we can get from our trial, right? We, we think, how can I get out of this, not what can I learn in this? And often we don't suffer well, like Paul did. When we're opened up, uh, when, when we're opened up, like the Pez dispenser, nothing comes out, or worse, what comes out is not grace <laughs> in the midst of suffering. And it normally comes down to really this, our perspective in the midst of our suffering, how we view our suffering. So three good questions to help us have the right perspective when facing a hardship in life so that we can suffer well. These are the three questions that we should ask ourselves in the midst of suffering. First of all, how can I use this to share the gospel? How can I use what I'm going through to share the gospel. Paul wrote in Philippians, I would that you understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. And he saw everything that he went through as an opportunity to see the gospel advanced in some way. So us too, how can we share the gospel in the midst of our suffering? And then secondly, how can I, how can this suffering grow my Christian walk? How can it bring me to become more like Jesus Christ. Like James said, friends count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Knowing this, that the trial of your faith worketh patience. It works out patience. And Romans eight twenty eight, we always say, uh, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But the next part of the verse tells us the purpose. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, had a predetermined plan that they would be conformed into the image of his son. So all things work together for good. What good? That you would be more like Jesus. That is uh, what the purpose is in our suffering. So how can we grow in our suffering and grow in our Christian walk because of it? And then lastly, how can I give God glory through this? How can I give God glory through this? Peter wrote in one of his letters, he says, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. And how can I praise the Lord because of my suffering? And we ask ourselves those three questions. It'll change what we think about what we're going through, 100%. Why do we ask these kinds of questions? Because when we view our lives through the lens of the gospel, then we understand that our hardships uh, that we face are not just obstacles that we have to hurdle. They are opportunities to dispense and display the very grace of God in our lives. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media. 
and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.